So, and I'm getting texts. Good news. My father-in-law made it home. Okay. All right. There we go. He left at four o'clock this morning. So that, that was good, good news. Is Pastor Joe in the room? He, he, is he hiding? He is. Okay. So uh, we'll have to get him later. At the end of the service, please. Um, I must share the spotlight. I do not like being in it all by myself. All right. So, hey, I, I was um, especially blessed today by, by the singing and, and by the video, I'll be honest with you, uh, I was talking to Jeff after the service, and, and he gave me the story behind the video, and, and I'll let him share the story. And yes, the clocks are all set at the, right, the same time, right, on purpose. For all those, you know, all those little, notice those little details, right? He did that on purpose to be funny. Uh, but it, it is a tremendous little ministry to our, to our kids when we uh, are able to express uh, important things in, in a fun fashion. Uh, but they did a great job, I thought, of expressing the love that we're supposed to have for one another and for the world around us. We spent last week in 1 Corinthians 13. It's the love chapter, right? But we, we identified that that particular chapter is not just about the romance of a husband and wife, about you know, living selflessly in, 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 in the relationship with one another. It's, it was a, a message, 1 Corinthians 13, is for the church. This is the way we're supposed to love one another. And it's an amazing sort of love, and, and I'll kind of go uh, through what we learned last week. Last week, uh, the, the idea that we, I asked you to be challenged with was that sacrificial love for others should be the distinguishing mark of every Christian. If you count yourself a Christian today, then I'm asking, is, is a sacrificial love characteristic of your life? Is it characteristic of mine? I have to look at myself in the mirror just as you do and, and ask yourself this question next time you're, you're standing in front of that mirror and say, am I characterized by a self-sacrificing love foremost for my brothers and sisters in Christ, but then after that uh, to, to the world at large, to all those who God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son to redeem, right? I mean, that, that's, ask yourself, are you, is that characteristic? If it is, it is uh, with the idea that we, we gained three insights from that last week. The first was that the possession of spiritual gift is meaningless without sacrificial love for others. We're in the context of spiritual gifts, uh, and, and it is a wonderful context to be challenged with. We are a body of Christ. We are a whole body, and we have members. And as individual members, we work together, we serve together, we love one another together. And, and as, as we are... Uh, working as a body, esteeming one another with the same esteem that we would give to each other member of the body. It is the idea that we are supposed to exercise these spiritual gifts that God has blessed us with in a way, in the context of love. And this love, if it's, if it's absent, then our spiritual gifts have no meaning. The, the exercise of the gifts have no meaning. Uh, then we also were challenged with this idea of sacrificial love for others how it must be lived out in experience. We are told in, excuse me, in 1 Corinthians 13, as, as we look at that passage, uh, as I'm looking at that passage, I'm just turning there real quick, that you know, we are called to live this sacrificial love in a way that is lived experience. It's one of those things where we are living amongst one another. We are suffering long with one another. We are kind to one another. We are not rude to one another. We do not uh, parade ourselves. We're not characterized by pride. Uh, we, are, uh, we are thinking no evil, period, versus let alone let thinking evil of other people. 
we are to be characterized, the distinctive characteristic of our life as believers is to be one characterized by sacrificial love. And then we also talked about, and I won't spend much time on rehearsing that one, but it, our, the third point was our lived experience of sacrificial love for others is a taste of the eternal. Paul says when the, when the perfect comes, the imperfect will be put away. Tongues will cease, prophecies will cease, but love, faith, hope, and love really transcend the grave, but the greatest of these is love. Now, I don't know about you, but I ask you to consider, when was the first time you were challenged or with this, this idea that there's something special about Christian love. This love that we've been talking about, that chapter three, 13 focuses on, that will move us into our chapter 14 study today, of which we have talked about. What is it about this love? When was the first time you were challenged? The first time I remember, I was, a, I was probably in first, second, or third grade, I had my little blue pants, my little white shirt, my little blue tie, probably my long uncut hair because I had long hair. Um, and, and we were walking in a, in a dutifully in a line across the school campus. I went to a, a, a Catholic school for first, second, and third grade. And I remember singing at the top of my lungs, they will know we are Christians by our love. And I'm just remembering now that on top of the blue pants, white shirt, and blue tie, I think I had an angel outfit on. I'm not sure, okay? I was a little guy. Uh, but we were singing, they will know we are Christians by our love. And I'm thinking to myself, do people know that we are Christians by our love? Paul says it is supposed to be the distinguishing mark of every Christian. I'm thankful for that challenge. I grew up in a, in a Roman Catholic home. Uh, that, was the, that was the place where in the home and in, in going to church with my family, that was the, the spiritual ground that God used to nurture and cultivate my heart for the reception of the Word of God. Uh, I have been told uh, that when I share my testimony, it often comes, apart, comes across as if I'm somehow bashing Roman Catholicism and my upbringing in the Catholic Church. I like to remind people that I am thankful for my upbringing. My family, my mother and father, brought me to church every single Sunday. And I heard the Word of God read, both the Old Testament, the New Testament, and the Gospel, every Sunday. I remember being bored at the sermon time and flipping through, because we, we were in a military family, so uh, when we went to military chapels, they had Bibles there. And I remember not understanding what the person was saying, and I was flipping through my Bible, the pew Bible that was there, and I was reading the stories and looking at the pictures, and it was the ground in which God cultivated my heart for the reception of the gospel when I got to college. Because I still practiced going to church. And so when I think about my heritage, my religious heritage that birthed into my everlasting heritage as a child of God when I came to faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ. When I think about that, I, was, I immediately thought of that song because it was real for me that we were singing about this unique kind of love that is supposed to be characteristic of every one of us if we call ourselves Christians. Now, my heritage was Roman Catholic going to church with my family every week. Your heritage may have been, I talked to somebody after the early service, and it was, it was Church of Christ. 
And, and they had an experience, you know, growing up and learning certain things. But then they came to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Because when the Word of God was, was read and the people of God, this was his testimony, when the people of God were singing, he said, there's something different. So, folks, listen, I don't know what your upbringing is, and if you're joining us online, I, I, I don't know what your upbringing was, or it has been, or currently is. But now is the time of salvation. Now is the time for you to come to faith in, in Jesus Christ, because it was the love of God, the distinct and unique love of God that sent His Son into this world to die on the cross for our sins. Jesus Christ didn't die for his own sins. He died for our sins. And is there any greater love than that a man should lay down his life for another? We are to embrace this unique love that God demonstrated to us. We are supposed to embrace it to where it becomes uh, uh, the distinguishing mark of our own life. And so as we go into our study today, we're going to be in 1 Corinthians 14. We're only going to uh, study verses 1 through 5. We read 1 through 12 so you have a broader context, and, and we'll continue on in that, in that um, uh, context next week. And, and the, but really, as we look at these, these first few verses of chapter 14, we have to remind ourselves that we are in the context of spiritual gifts. Paul's been addressing the Corinthian church about spiritual gifts starting in chapter 12. If you remember when we were there, in chapter 12, verse 1, it says, Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren... Right? And, I, and I explained that that word gifts is supplied. And there I said, now concerning spiritual, the, opportunity, the possibility was spiritual ones or spiritual things. And, and the choice is made in this translation to offer spiritual thi- uh, uh, things. And, and because of the context, it was gifts. And I said, well, the, the, the supplying the word gifts there is a little premature because it hasn't been brought up yet. So I, I chose to, to ex- teach and explain that one is now concerning spiritual ones, spiritual people. I don't want you to be ignorant. And he goes on to explain how we can know what to be spiritual is all about. But when we get to chapter 14, starting in verse 1, it says, Pursue love and desire spiritual gifts. The word is not there again. But this time, we are in the context of gifts We've been talking about it since chapter 12. We're now in chapter 14. And so we are talking about spiritual gifts in the context of love. Chapter 13 was not an accident by Paul. It wasn't some, hey, here's a commercial break. I'm going to talk about love for a minute. Now we're going to join our regularly scheduled program. There is a very clear connection between the end of chapter 12 and the beginning of chapter 14. But the missing element, if we didn't have uh, chapter 13, we would not understand what he means by this first two words in chapter 14, verse 1. He says, pursue love. Well, what love? The love that is supposed to be characteristic, the love that's supposed to be lived out, the love that is a taste of the eternal. This is that love that we're supposed to be, that Paul is saying, pursue We as Christians are called to pursue something. It's not we're supposed to have it on our to-do list. It is supposed to be something that we're doing in the now, in the present. When we look at this verse, in uh, verse 1 of chapter 14, it says, Pursue love and desire spiritual gifts. Both the word pursue and the word desire are present, active, 
imperatives. In other words, it's, the imperative means it's a command. The, the nature of the word is present and active. The idea, it's in the now. We can talk about love from the past. We can talk about love in the future. But we are called to live the love now. Pursue it now. We're talking about spiritual gifts. We can talk about them in the past and the future. But Paul says, desire them in the now. There is never a time where we are not supposed to be characterized in our, in our, our uh, community life, to where we're not supposed to be pursuing love and desiring spiritual gifts. This pursuit is, is to be consistent. It's supposed to be continuing. And so is the desire for spiritual gifts. So the way I, I phrased this was the continuing pursuit of sacrificial love, that agape love that we talked about all last week in chapter 13, that continuing pursuit of sacrificial love for others, it's the nature of love, folks. If you love yourself, now we are called to love others as we love ourselves. There's a comparison there, right? So there's a, this little bit of aspect. But if you know someone who loves themselves, you're usually like, hmm, He's a bit, she's a bit over the top, right? This continuing pursuit of sacrificial love for others must be the motivation for the continuing desire for spiritual gifts. We are called to desire spiritual gifts. We're going to be spending a lot of time on this. And, and Paul, the relationship between uh, uh, the, 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 the pursuit of love and the desiring of spiritual gifts is more than just an and. Notice that word and in the text. Pursue love and spiritual gifts. But because of the way it's structured, it really kind of has the idea of priority. Pursue love. While you're, de- while you're des- desiring spiritual gifts. How do I say, why do I say that? Verse, the end of verse, um, the end of chapter 12, verse 31 says, But earnestly desire the best gifts. He hasn't told us what the best gifts are. And yet I show you a more excellent way. What is that excellent way? This way of love. He brought up the context or the idea of gifts. He's starting to teach about it. He says, but before I go any further, let me tell you about this more excellent way. And he says, the excellent way is love. And he says, pursue love. That is the context in which all spiritual gifts are supposed to be enacted. And that's where he picks up this this idea. He's saying, now listen, we are called to desire spiritual gifts. And Paul has a a specific few uh, gifts in mind as he's doing this. But he's saying our desire is supposed to be tempered by love. We're supposed to be corrected. See, we are supposed to desire spiritual gifts. He's going to say it's prophecy. That's what we're supposed to desire specifically in this context. But I'm going to say foremost that we are supposed to uh, uh, look at these gifts and, and desire them, but we are to recognize that our desires often get skewed. They often get kind of off point. And the, uh, and the idea here is, Paul says to the Corinthians, you have this great desire to speak in tongues, but I'm going to tell you in just a moment, he hasn't yet, I'm going to tell you pursue prophecy. But, he, but Paul gives this, this, uh, this highlight of love as the corrective for their wrong view of gifts. And so I ask you this morning, what is your view of spiritual gifts? Whether it be in your life or the life of those around you. Is someone's spiritual gifts, are they supposed to so minister only to you in their spiritual gifts? Are you happy when you see other people exercise their spiritual gifts for the benefit of others? Are you excited to see God manifest His presence in your life by 
by choosing you to exercise your spiritual gifts on behalf of others. It is an other-focused love that we are called to do. So the question is not so much, what is my gift? Is, the question is more like, how can I help others within the body of Christ? How can I uh, love them with this sacrificial love for their benefit and not for my own? And so I ask it as, as I asked the, the, the group in the earlier service, just pause for a minute and ask yourself that question. Picture yourself standing in front of a mirror and, and, and looking intently in that person's eyes and saying, am I characterized by a sacrificial love for my brothers and sisters in Christ? Am I, one, characterized by receiving their love but not giving it? Or am I characterized by giving it regardless of whether I receive it in return or not? Paul then narrows his focus upon this general idea of spiritual gifts to this idea of what's going on in the Corinthian church. The loving exercise of the gift of prophecy is what he's going to say. It strengthens the church more than the gift of speaking in tongues. We're going to talk about prophecy in tongues. We're, not going, to, we're going to continue talking about it next week. But for our purposes today, what we're going to see is Paul is calling us to especially desire the gift of prophecy. That's what he's calling the Corinthians to. They have a context, and I, I want to try and explain this. But as we consider the continuing pursuit of sacrificial love for others, Paul is saying in that context that there's, uh, it raises the importance of speaking prophecy over speaking in tongues. Now, I do not think that we are a church that is characterized, nor any other church I've ever been part of, that is characterized by attention in the room about who's greater, those speaking in tongues or those speaking prophecy. All right? This side of the room is all prophets, and this side of the room are all the speaking in tongues people. Let's get at it, right? That's not going to happen in this context, all right? And so I'm going to say some things today that are probably going to, one, either fall short of your expectations. I'm not going to satisfy you by answering all the questions about prophecy in tongues. Or I'll say some things that you're going to be like, what? How can he say that? I'm going to try and discipline myself to say what Scripture says and, uh, and leave the results up to God, as I think Bob Jones used to say. He's, I think he said, do right, leave the results up to God. I don't know if that's original to him or not, but I'll give him credit because it's not original to me. But as we think about the loving exercise of the gift of prophecy, whatever that is, by the way, all right, Paul says the loving exercise of the gift of prophecy strengthens the church more than the gift of speaking in tongues. So as he, as he narrows his focus on these two gifts, it is most likely that Paul is saying to the Corinthians that somehow they're out of bounds. In this particular case, they're out of bounds in their desire for, for speaking in tongues. I, I, I think I challenged you with that last week. It would be amazing to speak in tongues, would it not? To actually speak a language that, that you don't know. It's only by the work of God and you're able to speak this language to somebody else and they understand it. But you know, as one of the tension points in, in the tongue-speaking uh, gift, the genuine gift, I'm going to say this, there's the genuine gift of speaking in tongues that Paul affirms. He even goes so far as to say in verse 39, do not forbid to speak with tongues. That's Scripture. So we have to be careful when we start saying that we can or cannot do certain things when Scripture has some doors open. But I will say this, the legitimate uh, expression of, of speaking in tongues in Paul's day, Paul affirmed 
He said, this is, this, is, this is a good thing, but it's not necessarily the best thing, and we're going to talk about that in a little bit more. He says, uh, uh, it, it's, um, excuse me, he, uh, he's most likely uh, dealing with their issues, and it's likely that Paul means to raise the importance of prophecy over tongues, not necessarily the idea of prophecy over all the other gifts. There are speaking gifts of which prophecy and tongues are both aspects of expressions of the Holy Spirit in speaking gifts. And, and I think right here when he says uh, pursue love and desire spiritual gifts, I think is the idea of especially is the idea that you are to, to uh, uh, ex- uh, desire the idea, of the desire the gift of prophecy over the gift of tongues for specific reasons. He's already said that every gift is important. That was the whole nature of chapter 12 with the metaphor of the body. Each individual member of the body, the piece of the body, the hands, the feet, the mouth, the ears, the eyes, all those things, the organs, they all have purposes. And they're all important. They're all essential. So I said it before, I'll say it again. Every single person in the body of Christ that is part of this local expression of the body of Christ here at Merrimack Valley if you're a Christian, you're essential to this body. This body is not in its tip-top shape. It is not in its full expression of health if you are not actively involved in exercising your spiritual gift. That is true. But Paul says specifically for the Corinthians, he's saying, but you're seeking the gift of tongues over prophecy. You're getting things out of order. And for the rest of the, of the, of the text, he actually uh, says, starting in, in verse 2, that prophecy is greater than tongues. That's really the message. He says, because prophecy has the innate ability to communicate God's word with clarity, prophecy is better than tongues. It's better than tongues. This clarity of Scripture is one of the uh, foundational principles of, of our faith. If God's word could not be understood, then what good would it be? And that's, that's kind of in line with what Paul is saying here. He's saying prophecy is greater than tongues because it has this innate ability. Prophecy, I'm going to say simply as the words of God, all right, the words of God coming forth. Before God's word was inscripturated, before it was written down, it was spoken. It's all through the power and and the influence of the Holy Spirit in people's lives. But I I want to encourage you today that the Holy Spirit is alive and well and manifesting Himself in your life and in mine. Do I know exactly what the, the, the gift of prophecy looks like today? I do not know completely. But I will say this. Prophecy is centered around the Word of God. The Word of God comes forth, and it does things. And we're, Paul explains that in a few minutes. But for right now, he's saying prophecy is greater than tongues because it has an innate ability to communicate the Word of God clearly. Why? Because it's spoken in the, in the natural language of the people. It's, it's spoken in a way that I don't have to have an interpreter. I've taught in Peru. I've taught in Russia. I've taught in... Uh, well, I've spoken in Iraq and Afghanistan through interpreters. And interpreters are essential in certain environments. But if I were speaking with, uh, through an interpreter today, this sermon would be twice as long as it's already going to be. Because it takes time and it's not as easy. Prophecy is that ability to speak the Word of God in such a way where it's understood at face value. I don't have to jump through any hoops. Now, am I equating prophecy with the preaching of God's Word? No. Because we've already discussed how women can pray and prophesy. 
So I think there's one aspect of when anybody's behind this pulpit, but when everybody and anybody's bringing the word of God, there's the possibility that prophecy is taking place. There's some some uh, motivation of the Holy Spirit to say something that is certainly in line with God's word. It's certainly not contradictory of God's word. If it's a manifestation of the Holy Spirit, it's certainly in line with God's word. And and something will be spoken and it will speak to you in just the right way, at just the right time, to accomplish what you need because God loves you. And we'll see that played out a little bit later in, 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 in a few minutes. But because of its innate ability to communicate with clarity, that's why prophecy is greater than tongues. He goes on, and verse 2 says, For he who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men but to God. For no one understands him, however... In the Spirit, he speaks mysteries. This idea is no one understands him because he's speaking a language that no, there's no interpreter. So I'm going to just clarify as we get into this text. Prophecy is better than uninterpreted tongues. All right, I should have made that clarity uh, maybe earlier. But look at verse 5 with me just real briefly. It says that, that he who prophesies is greater than he who speaks with tongues unless indeed he interprets that the church may receive edification. So we'll get there in a little bit. But here, I want you to understand, when Paul's talking about this idea of prophecy being better than tongues, it is the idea of uninterpreted tongues. Because interpreted tongues, as, as, the, as the caveat in verse uh, 5 says, is beneficial. Tongues become beneficial. So the greater importance for prophecy over uninterpreted tongues is clear but when a tongue is uninterpreted, God is the only one who understands it. If I were up here this morning speaking German, how many of you speak German? All right, next week I might be reading a passage of Scripture in German. That's what I did when I went through this passage once before. I, I, I brought the whole passage in and I read it and recited it in German. Because I can read German, but I can't speak German. I can read it. I can't speak it. And, and so it's, it's a, a wonderful expression of us to understand the nature of, of tongues that there's this innate ability for us to clearly understand what's in English, but we need an interpreter if it's in another language. Paul says here, For he who speaks a tongue does not speak to men, but to God. It's the idea of an uninterpreted tongue. No one hears but God. God knows all things. For no one understands him. Maybe not even himself. Even the speaker who, who has gifted, God has manifested himself through the gifting of the Holy Spirit in tongues doesn't necessarily know what he or she is saying. And, and that comes into play as we get further into the text, and we'll get to that next week. But it says, in, in the Spirit, he speaks mysteries. In other words, it's, he's speaking the unknown because nobody knows. God knows. But there is definitely content to what is being said. It's not gibberish. The tongue speaking is not gibberish. It has a message. It is, it is God's message when it's done in the way that the Holy Spirit genuinely manifests itself. I will say this. There are expressions of this supposed gift in the lives of people, and it is gibberish. There are people that are doing this for their own purposes, and I, but you know what? It's a case-by-case basis. I'm not, I'm not qualified to judge whether a, whether a person is speaking in tongues legitimately or not, except for one thing. If someone were to stand up in our presence and start speaking in an unknown language, in other words, we, none of us knew it, what is the first thing we are called to do? Find an interpreter. 
right? That's what we're going to get to in a little bit later. If there's not an interpreter, that person is called to sit down and to be quiet. Not to be rebuked, just kindly sit down. Because we would say without an interpreter, the tongue speaker ought to remain silent. That's going to be later on. But as we look here, this, in the Spirit, he's, he's speaking mysteries. Because only God knows what the words are. It's a mystery to everybody else. And it may be mysteries of God, but at the same time, we don't know because no one's here to translate. When we get into verse 3, we see that uh, uh, prophecy is, is greater than tongues because, verse 3, because he who prophesies speaks edification and exhortation and comfort to men. This is the easiest portion of this text to apply to our lives. How many of you have ever been in need of encouragement? Really? I want to live your life. All right? All those that didn't have their hands up, right? We all are in need of words of encouragement. We at times are in need of words of comfort. I had the opportunity this morning to, to uh, uh, spend just a, just a minute with a family who had a death in the family. You know, and I hope that, the, that these very words brought comfort into their life. But you know, how many of you have ever received words? Uh, this is, I'm giving you a heads up. You're supposed to raise your hand if this is really true, okay? How many of you have ever received comfort from the Word of God? Do you, keep your hands up. Do you realize that the comfort that you have received from God, you are supposed to comfort others? Thank you. You can put your hands down. You're on the hook. You're responsible. You've admitted that, that the Word of God has... The, the, and, and honestly, some of these words that came came from the direct reading of Scripture. Other times it came from people. I have, I have been in circumstances where someone said, and this is, maybe this is true of you, I was in a church service where I hear the person preaching, and, and actually, I'll, be, I'll just be transparent. I was sitting at Greater Rhode Island Baptist Temple in Johnston, Rhode Island. I'm sitting there in the presence uh, of, of my wife and uh, these new friends I was encountering. I was already a believer in Christ. I hadn't, I hadn't matured very much, but I was a believer in Jesus Christ. I'm sitting there, and Pastor Tom Crichton is preaching a message and I am sitting here, and I am ticked off. Because how dare he tell everyone else what's going on in my life? You ever been there? That would be an illustration, illustration of prophecy. He is speaking what he does not know. The Holy Spirit is using his words to enliven in me. Change growth, maturity. There are times where we need to be strengthened. It says here, but he who prophesies. This is the beauty of prophecy over tongues. This uninterpreted tongues. Uh, prophecy speaks edification. That word edification is the idea of building up, strengthening. The words of God strengthen his people. They, they exhort as I'm exhorting you. Will you please love one another with a sacrificial love. I'm not saying you're not doing it. I'm saying it needs to be the distinctive character so people will say they know we're Christians because of this love that is a God-given, God-inspired, God-empowered love so that we can encourage one another. We can come alongside and thirdly, 
comfort one another. Because we need strengthening. We need encouraging. We need comforting. And God uses the people that He gifts with prophecy. He's saying, listen, I, I desire that you all have prophecies. That, there I go again, you all, right? You all, not y'all, but you all, all right? He says, but he who prophesies, the prophecy is better because this happens naturally. No interpreter necessary. No interpretation. Tongues can't meet that need as easily as prophecy can. So because prophecy has the innate ability to communicate God's word with clarity, we can see how the, this aspect goes on. But it's, his prophet, the prophecy is also better because it's able to benefit the whole body and not just one member. That's what he says in verse 4. He says, but he who speaks in a tongue edifies himself, but he who prophesies edifies the church. This is going back to the nature of chapter 12, where you have the one among the many. And, the, and, and we, we would say that the edification of self is, well, that's a questionable thing, right? Is it okay to edify yourself? Well, I think at some level, yes. We want to be built up individually. But, we, but this is where there's a tension in the text and in, even in Paul's teaching. The edifying of self may be understood as a good thing, where the edification of the church is the best thing. But even as we consider what Paul was speaking about and teaching in 1 Corinthians 12, verse 7, it says, But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all, for the edification of the church. So when we see tongues done the wrong way in our world today, okay, if it's done in a wrong way, it's done with that selfish uh, uh, ambition tied to it. I have only, I've only read, I've never been in a room where someone actually spoke in tongues. I have been encouraged by genuine Christians, genuine believers, that they have practiced this, and they've been in a room where this was practiced, and somehow it was edifying. I don't quite understand it. And that's what I'm saying. I'm not going to say, uh, uh, like I said, I'm just not qualified. I'm not qualified to step in and be the Holy Spirit. I will say that if the Holy Spirit chooses to manifest Himself in the gift of, the, uh, of speaking in tongues. It'll be done in the right way for God's glory, and I don't think anyone's going anyone's gonna to fight it. The Corinthians were saying this is most important. Paul is saying no. Prophecy is most important because it enables uh, the individual to kind of take a back seat to the whole. Speaking in tongues in private or without an interpreter fails to accomplish the purpose of spiritual gifts. All spiritual gifts are important. All spiritual gifts edify the church. Speaking in tongues in private, it may be legit. I don't know. Or without an interpreter, it fails to accomplish that purpose that he described for us in chapter 12, verse 7, for the profit of all. So prophecy is better. That, 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 that uh, revelation of God's Word, whether it be new revelation in the first century, whether it be uh, me coming up here preaching and, and some point, at some point in time through the sermon, I remember something. And it's like God calls the mind. Second Chronicles 16.9, For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show Himself strong on behalf of those whose hearts are perfect towards Him. That popped into my mind the first service. I felt compelled to share it with you. So was it prophecy first session, you know, and not prophecy here? I'm just saying when the Word of God comes forth, the Word of God does its work. 
And, and, and sometimes you are going to be the one to share that word of God with someone, and they're going to be looking at you like, how did you know? How did you know that I needed that word at this time? Don't be afraid of the gifts of God. When he chooses to manifest them for his purposes and for his glory, just get on board. But certainly don't do it the wrong way. Don't do it away selfishly. Let the Holy Spirit initiate the gifting in you. And we are to understand that he, he who speaks a tongue edifies himself, but he who prophesies edifies the church, the whole body. Speaking words from God strengthens the other people who are listening. So he says very clearly, prophecy is better than tongues because of the clarity. Prophecy is better than tongues because it edifies a greater portion. But he, thirdly, he says prophecy is not better if there's an interpreter. And that's what I think we have to recognize here, is that in verse 5 it says, I, will, uh, I wish you all spoke with tongues. How do we deal with that, with 21st, being 21st century Baptists? I wish you all spoke with tongues. Is there something different from the time of Paul to the 21st century? Us? He doesn't give a caveat. He says, I wish you all spoke with tongues. Whatever that legitimate gift is, Paul was saying he affirmed it. He was not running away from it. I have heard people say that the, uh, the speaking in tongues is of the devil. I will say this. Speaking in tongues that are illegitimate, that are self-centered, that are focused for other purposes than a self-sacrificial love for others, uh, the, some, some manifestation of, of tongue speaking that is not uh, glorifying God, right? I'm against all that. But if God was to show, to show himself on the scene in whatever capacity, uh, then, then I'll let God be God. But he says, I wish you all spoke with tongues, but even more that you prophesied. These two gifts that we're struggling, whether or not they even exist in our world, Paul is saying, listen, I, I wish you all could do this, but even more so that you could prophesy for the reason he who prophesies is greater than he who speaks with tongues, unless indeed he interprets that the church may receive edification. Paul uses that word all as an emphasis. He's saying, listen, I, he, he's the one that taught us back in, in chapter 12 that uh, individuals are given gifts. Not everybody has every gift, and, and, but no one Christian has no gift. We all have at least a gift, but not everyone will have the same gift. And so even though he says, I wish you all could speak with tongues and that you could all prophesy, he is not expecting that that will be true of everyone. He's just saying, as I compare these two speaking gifts, will you please stop emphasizing the one over the other to the detriment of the church? Because speaking in tongues is not as effective as prophecy to edify, to build up, to strengthen, to comfort, to encourage the church. He says in 1 Corinthians 8, 1, Now concerning the things offered to idols, we know that we all have knowledge. Knowledge puffs up, but love edifies. He is focused on this edification, this edifying nature of, yes, all spiritual gifts, but for their context, these two. And he's saying, let's, let's hold them all at, at, uh, as a respectable level. Tongues are respectable when they are interpreted, and they edify the church 
I don't know what that looks like in the 21st century. I'm just saying, I don't know what that looks like. Never been part of it. And I'm not suggesting that we practice it, but I'm also not suggesting that we run away in fear that somehow Satan has made his presence known. The gifts of God are gifts, however they're manifested. And I, 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 I'm just cautioning us to making a strong, hard stance in areas where God doesn't. All right, there's plenty more to be talked about, so I, I, I will receive emails this week about this very context, and that's okay. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not complaining. Please don't misunderstand me. All right, I'll, I'll get some emails this week about this because we haven't finished talking about it yet. We've, only, we've still got the rest of chapter 14, and Paul has a lot more to say, and we'll engage in this more and more. But I'm saying with what the verses that we've been challenged with right now, it is the idea that love is Paul's focus. Pursue love and spiritual gifts. Don't pursue spiritual gifts on their own without love. Pursue love and spiritual gifts because love is the motivation that allows spiritual gifts to strengthen the church. Let's not get hung up on any one gift. Let's get hung up on love. That self-sacrificing love that glorifies God and, and builds a strong body of believers. Let's close in prayer. Father, I thank you for, for this time. And Lord, I, I'm so thankful that we have the opportunity to talk about the hard things. Lord, your giftings are amazing. They're miraculous. They're supernatural. Whether it's the gift of giving, whether it's the gift of encouragement, whether it's the, whatever the gift is, Lord, it is of you. It is the Holy Spirit coming on the scene and saying, I am choosing to make myself known at this particular time, in this particular place, through this particular Christian, for the benefit of the church. Father, help us embrace that truth. But help us not to honor gifts in an insincere fashion. Father, your gifts are your choice to manifest yourself in our presence, but love must be the motivating factor. It must be with an eye of loving you and loving our fellow man. Gifts are, your, are given at your discretion. And so, Father, I pray that we would be willing, one, to exercise the gifts in a way that you have called us to as individuals within the body, but Lord, also that we would enable others to exercise their gifts for our benefit. Help us not to constrain people, which would be a definition of quenching the work of the Spirit. Lord, may you do your work in your people for your glory, and Lord, may we all rise up and call it blessed. And Father, at the same time, we pray that if there are selfish manifestations of supposed giftings, Lord, that you, would, that you would not allow those to be present in this body. Lord, may we be able to give all glory to you as we see one another doing amazing, supernatural things in the power of the Spirit. Not that it's miraculous in sight, but maybe it's a a wallflower who comes up and encourages another believer because it's, it's very scary for them to get out of their comfort zone and then speak to someone. That's supernatural. That's power of the Holy Spirit in that person's life. 
Lord, maybe it's someone who is, who is struggling financially and yet feels compelled by the Spirit to give to someone else in more need. It's a supernatural event, Father. It's one that we should, we should honor and respect and, and praise you for. Father, help us not to extol any one gift over any other gift. But Father, we pray that we would exercise whatever gifting in a genuine sacrificial love for our brothers and sisters in Christ. Lord, unite us deeply. Unite us as brothers and sisters that we might be able to stand in front of the mirror, look ourselves in the eye and say, that was God working through me. Praise God. Father, may you be glorified as people respond to your word. We're not ones that are struggling with prophecy and tongues in the way that the first century Corinthians were, but we are people who are struggling with gifts. And Lord, we need wisdom to know how to walk the road as people exercise their gifts in our presence. May you be glorified as we walk down this road together, as we love one another, in a way where people would say, they must be Christians. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.